thank you, Lord Jesus, for, um, for just the way you are wanting to bring healing to our nation, to our communities, to our own families too, God. And we just pray for, Father, for healing in every area. Father, that your grace would flow in households, communities, into our nation, that you would indeed heal our nation. In Jesus' name. All right. <sighs> no one wants to come to church to hear bad news. Agreed? Um, you, you're probably not going to come if you know you're going to get bad news each time you come to church. We sing, we preach, we talk about the goodness of God, about how much he loves us, the good things he has in store for us, the purposes that he has for us, all those things that we've already heard this morning, you know, how amazing God is. Especially in a church like ours, a Pentecostal church, you're going to hear that a lot, Correct? There's a lot of emphasis on how amazing God is. God's going to be there. God's going to, you know, there's a, there's a great verse in 1 Corinthians 20, verse, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 20. Um, I might even be up on the screen. And it basically says this, and we love this verse. All the promises of God are yes and amen. That's not the verse. So it might be 2 Corinthians. Who knows? Take that off. So, all, the, all the promises of God are yes and amen. We love that. There goes the moment. I have to start the whole thing again. This week, I was in a situation where um, <laughs> um, all the promises are yes and amen. But my sermon topic today is this. Three words. When God... No, it's four words. My goodness, I'm really off. When God says no. When God says no. I want to talk about that this morning. Because this is what I believe. It's not the yeses that make us who we need to be. It's the noes. We're going to unpack that for the next 30 minutes. Still no clock up the back so I can just keep rambling. Correct? Is it difficult to get a clock? Is it difficult? No. So. <laughs> All right. Let's have a go at another Bible verse. Let's see if I got it right this time. 2 Corinthians 12. Seven to nine. Let's see if we're even remotely in the ballpark. Yep, there we are. We're good. All right. Paul speaking. Even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God. So, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh. A messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away from me. Each time he said... My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. I just want to imagine this for a moment. This is one of God's favourites. It's Paul. He's like the mega guru. Like, he, this is Paul, one of God's favourite. And here, what does he say he does three times? Thrice, for those of you that like it in more religious terminology, what does Paul do? Thrice? He, he, he actually begs. I want us to get this picture in our mind. Here is the Apostle Paul begging as a son would beg his father. He's not just asking. He's not just a little bit keen. He's actually so desperate. He's begging God for something because it's so, so important to him. What does God say? No. So Paul's begging and God is saying no. I want us to think about a messenger of Satan for a second. That doesn't sound particularly pleasant um, to me. 
to have a messenger of Satan at you. What is that? The details, who knows? But what I know is this. It is something that would speak and whisper lies, cause pain and torment. So surely for this God where all the promises are yes and amen for you and I and who loves us so much, surely wouldn't this be the first thing that God would want removed from our life? Surely he would not want a messenger of Satan tormenting us. Surely he would not do that. That's offensive to me. That this God that we talk so much about, who promises all these things, actually said to a man tormented by darkness, no. No. Surely we could command it in Jesus' name. Isn't that our response? Just be gone. Let's deal with you in Jesus' name, you vile spawn of Satan. Surely we would just command it to go in Jesus' name. I won't put up for it. But God said no. In the gospel of our modern era, we can make Jesus into a genie to conjure up and dispel anything we don't like. Anything that hurts, anything that is offensive, how dare God not answer my prayer? You glad you came to church this morning for this really <laughs> uplifting message? It's probably going to get better. Uh, it may not, but it's probably going to get better as we go through. I think it's interesting here, three times Paul prayed. He didn't just keep praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying, which the Bible does tell us to do, and which Paul did say, I do that all the time for the churches. There were three distinct times where Paul prayed and then he stopped. Why? Because each time he heard an answer. No. Nah. So here he is begging. It's not that he didn't get an answer and had to keep praying. He got an answer and the answer was no. I believe God wants to challenge and to change and mature our perspective today. Six years ago, um, Liz and I were sent by God to Sydney Actually, we weren't set by God so much as tricked by God into, into going to Sydney to, to, to work in a, in a church. And, um, and here's the thing. God spoke to us about going to a bigger sphere. That's how he tricked us. Um, so so he, he, we went up to Sydney six, six years ago and, um, like I said, God tricked us into it. And here's the thing. We were pretty amazing pastors. We were pretty amazing leaders. And we knew that as soon as we got to Sydney, not only the church in Sydney, but Sydney itself, would just be overcome with our amazingness. And so, and so, so they'll be so thankful that we're there. They'll be just so incredibly blessed that our amazingness has gone all the way from Aladala up to Sydney, that they might be blessed by our awesomeness. And, um, and that's not actually how it played out. And I'm, so I've been thinking a little bit about what actually was that six years about. And I believe God's been speaking a little bit about it, to the point where I can say this now, six years on, I now know why God sent us to Sydney. He needed someone who could bear the pain of what needed to be done. That's why we went. Simple as that. That was all God needed from someone. My favourite leadership maxim is this. It's a leader's job to cast vision and to bear pain. If you want leadership in a nutshell, you want to be a leader, 
cast a vision, cast a future, but you have to be able to carry pain. You have to be able to carry things when God says no. You have to be able to deal with the fact that God's not always going to answer your prayers the way you want him to. You have to be able to carry and bear pain. I remember in that time, kids and some of you guys here close to us could see us in pain. I remember Josh saying how hard it was to see us in pain, which is very emotionally in tune for you, Joshua. I was very impressed with that moment. <laughs> so that happened very rarely. So anyway, that was, that was, that was really good. Um, but Liz and I were at Hillsong last Sunday in the city campus, um, Sunday night. And um, was it last morning? Morning, thank you. We were... Uh, <laughs> there last Sunday, and, and I was just, God and I were having a moment. And um, in that moment, God just said a little well done. In relation to that six years, just well done. You did what I needed you to do. And I sort of knew that, but it was also sort of nice to hear God say, yeah, that was, you did what needed to be done there. What was that? Well, as it turned out, just to bear some pain while some things needed to, to be done. And so I like, so for Paul, God, take it away. Nah. Yeah, nah. Or was it nah, yeah? Yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. It's yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. I'm not going to do that. I want to put it to us that God can only trust his nose to some people. God can only entrust his nose to some people. And there's lots of examples in the Bible of people that couldn't be trusted with his nose. But, of course... N-O-E, is it N-O apostrophe S? I don't know. Plural no's, many no's. No, no. We've got a no button at home. Have you ever seen a little red button? No, 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 no. That's that. Lots of no's. God, only some people can do that. And I think of Jesus, who in Gethsemane prayed how many times? Like Paul, thrice, that this suffering and this torture and this death that was about to take place would be removed from him because the, the pressure of it w- was actually breaking him down. And um, I was talking to a lady, a teacher, one of the other families I work with, she, she had a really stressful situation during the week and she was telling me on the phone afterwards because the school was locked down, police were called, kids were scheduled, it was a mess. And uh, she said, I was bleeding from my eye when it all finished. And I said, what was that about? She said, stress. It's what Jesus did. Exactly what Jesus did because of the stress that was going on. Why? Because three times God said what? No. This is the only way. Three times. He didn't pray all night. He prayed three distinct times. Heard an answer answer each time. <sighs> but there are lots of people in the Bible who couldn't handle. Are we going okay? Is this like too intense and heavy? Are you all depressed? <laughs> so, all right. So, um, lots of people who couldn't handle. Balaam was one, donkey man, donkey talking man. Um, he he couldn't, couldn't handle God's nose and almost got his head cut off. Um, but there was another, a king, a leader. Uh, he was a leader that couldn't take God saying no. He was dying. He prayed for healing and God said no. This is how the story played out. We read about it in Isaiah 38. So Isaiah 38, 1, then 3, and to 5. About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill, and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order. You're going to die. You'll not recover from this illness. Well, thank you, God, for that word. I received that. That's 
just flipping great. So, um, and so you, anyway, and this is what happened. So remember, O oh God, how I've always been faithful to you, served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and wept bitterly. Then this message came back to Isaiah from the Lord. Go back to Hezekiah and tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says. Heard your prayer, seen your tears, have another 15 years. And so what happens next? Um, and look, actually, I, I know there's, and I know there's families here, and we've talk, heard about them this morning, struggling with significant um, life-threatening illnesses. This is not what this message is about. Because healing is the children's bread. The Bible says that. This is principles of how we grow and mature into full leadership in the, in the church. And so, so what happens next after this? <laughs> um, Hezekiah does a little, has a little praise party. He has a little, little happy dance. 15 more years, 15 more years, 15. Like it, so he has this little amazing, I've got 15 more years, how awesome is it? Woo, woo, woo. God does a miracle, sun moves backwards on the steps and, and Hezekiah gets his 15 more years. Because God said no, but God allowed the 15 years. In that 15 years, Hezekiah did enough dumb things, one in particular, you can read about it in Isaiah 39, that meant that God actually came to him and said, you've been so stupid, your kingdom and your children, your sons and daughters, are going to go into exile. So I wonder, maybe if Hezekiah should have just said, I'll accept that no, God. You know best. Because after all, the rest of the promise was my grace is sufficient for you to pour. So there's something else at play there we'll get to in a second. Hezekiah was a douche, seriously. He, he, when it says that God said your kingdom's going to be taken into exile and all your sons, he said he was happy with that. Why? Because it wasn't going to affect him in his lifetime. Wow. Can we accept no's from God? Because ultimately, I believe it's going to affect the generations that follow. If we can't accept them, I wonder what break down, what might break down in the generations to come. If we can, I think there's something else going to be at play for us. So you have a read about that in Isaiah 39. When God, say, when God says no to you and I, it's either for our good or the good of one or more people in our lives. Always. Always. God's no's often mean we end up with a lot harder path, but I can guarantee you it's actually going to be a better path. May we be entrusted with God's no's and be okay with that. Let's bring it, make it more practical now. If a parent never says no to a child that they have, what happens? They little snot. They are, what other? Spoiled. That, of course, doesn't apply to grandparents who are able to do what they want with their grandchildren. However, for you parents out there, um, no one wants spoilt children. And yet the risk we face in our generation in the church, if we will not hear the nose of God, is that we're going to end up with a generation, and maybe we already have, of Christians who are spoiled and actually are not able to grow into maturity because they've actually forgotten how to come under the discipline of a no from God. So let me read now with that context. 
Hebrews 12, 5 to 6. Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. The Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as a child. Talks about discipline and punishment. Discipline to me is the no. No. It's the limits, the boundaries. Thou shalt not pass. It's, it's that. It's the discipline of God that it says here actually creates sonship and daughtership. So the risk we face in the church is that we're going to raise men and women who actually aren't and don't know what it is to be sons and daughters of God because I've never learned to handle God's nose. It says there, if we don't, we're, we're, other translations call us bastards because we're undisciplined. There's sonship that God wants to form through the limits he puts on our life. Every time God says a no to us, it's because he wants to create sonship and daughtership in us. He wants to establish something so much more than every blessing he could ever pour into our lives. And I often think about the children of Israel and they saw miracle after miracle after miracle from frogs and grasshoppers and seas opening and manna every day. And they got to the end of the time in the promised land, miracle after miracle after miracle after yes, 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 promise, 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 promise. And they couldn't enter in. After 40 years, they were still called the children of Israel. What God wanted to do in that time was make them children of God. They never learned it. Because every time God said no, they had a tanty. They saw more miracles than any generation in history. And they were the least mature of any generation in history at the same time. May we grow in maturity as we recognise that what God does in his goodness and his purpose is amazing what he wants to build in us. Discipline's the setting of limits. Same root word as disciples. So we want to be disciples. Let's come under God's discipline. So, um, who watches MKR? No? No one. No use telling the story then. <laughs> if, 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 you, if you want to watch something with morbid fascination of it, like a watching a train wreck in slow motion, there, there's, there's a team there who are homeschooled American missionary kids, Christians. So if you, if you just want for an hour to watch a train wreck, just, just watch how they interact and you'll see pretty much what I'm describing here. Um, I think one of the issues to, as we think about immaturity, how are we going for time? Are we okay? 10 minutes to finish? Then we're going to have communion together. Is One of the barriers, I believe, is, is this. Is I think we misteach about God's love. We sing a lot at the moment about God's romantic love for us, how much he pursues us and desperately wants us, how we look at him with eyes of love and he looks at us with eyes of love. And I think there's a lot of stuff at the moment about how God for us, it's a romantic connection that we have with God. I find that difficult because I'm a bloke and there's obviously implications of that. But it's an interesting thing, sort of real focus at the moment um, of this romantic, probably soppy romantics, stuff that's coming, some, some of the stuff we're singing in praise and worship. Um, I don't think that's fully correct because discipline doesn't occur in a marriage. I don't discipline Liz. If I do, I'll come in Monday to Friday and <laughs> it's called something else. 
Discipline occurs where? Between a parent and a child. And so I think that we have to be careful if we're thinking of our relationship with God in romantic terms and how much he loves us, we're not going to actually understand that actually it's a parent's love for a son and a daughter that has wrapped up in that incredible selfless love, discipline, correction and knows in there as well. And we all know there's a bride, you know, we are the bride of Christ as well and all that, but that's for later. We can be soppy and romantic and we will be for all eternity when we don't need to grow when we don't need to reach other people, when there aren't people dying all around us, when the world isn't a broken place. Until that time, we need to recognise we're relating to God as a father who is calling us to grow into maturity for the sake of our generation. It's no use just being romantic with God at this point of time. I understand the place for intimacy with God. But more than anything, it's a father, it's a parent, actually speaking into our lives as his children. Until the day when I am a son of God, I'll accept the discipline of God that he has for me because I know what it produces. So, the experience of so many in our country is, is a lack of fatherhood, a lack of healthy parenting. So how hard, it's easier for them to understand God as a romantic partner because they understand romantic love to some degree. Turn maths on the television or Love Island or whatever. And they understand that. But for a lot of kids, there's no context to understand parenthood in any healthy way. So we're going to have to help them because ultimately this is the thing that brings people into maturity. Liz has beautiful eyes. And I often look into them. And I love what our grandkids, um, you know, probably the, from about one through to about four or five, six, I, I love how they just... The, they just look you in the eye, Esther does it, Elliot does it, just, and they're just like they're just reading your, your soul and you're connecting eye to eye. And it's, it's quite incredible. I think I'll, one of the things I love most about being a grandfather. Um, my grandmother, Alice, she died when she was 105, four, five, something like that. She's like old and withered and shrinking. But she, she was 105 and um, until her death she had these piercing blue eyes. And, um, and so I have 50 years of history. I was 50 roughly when she died. And 50 years of history with, with her. And I just, always kind. Eyes are always kind. Eyes are always loving. They'd do any, she'd do anything for you. You know, oh, that, was, that was Grandma Alice. But I have, 40 years later, I don't remember anything. So 40 years later, um, I remember an incident when I was about 11, 12 years of age. And I'd done some combination of lying, stealing, setting something on fire, because that was my childhood and that's how I lived. And that was my fun downtime and my, my me time was just vandalising, breaking and burning things. So um, something was wrong there somewhere. But I remember she caught me. And... This is a grandma that consistently loved me for 50 years. But in that moment, when I looked in her eyes, they were fierce. And I remember what she said to me. I remember her holding my hands in hers. I remember her eyeballing me, eyeball to eyeball. And, and not that the eyes weren't loving, but my goodness, they were fierce. And I think that's what we need from God. We, we need to recognise there's going to be times when he's going to look at us fiercely and say, come on, 
This, that what you did was wrong, you need to deal with some things. Or, no, I'm not going to give that to you. It's not good for you. I was scared. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Um, and that was 40 years ago. So, um, just to wrap some things up here, maybe wrap everything up even, um, we need to know how much God loves us. But God is wanting to make us sons and daughters, not romantic partners. Can we agree today that we need to be okay when God says no? The irony and the insidious lie is this, that God doesn't love us when he says no. I want to put to us, in fact, that when he says no, it's when he loves us the most. May we be able to accept when God says no, we're going to have communion in just a second, but um, Psalm 2, 7 and 8, sort of one of my faves, says this. The Lord said to me, God speaking, God the Father speaking to the Son, Jesus. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Only ask and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. This is a funny one to me. Because God and Jesus have been together forever, literally. Just before it all began, those two and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, have been together forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And yet there was a day, somewhere in that eternity, when the Father says to the Son, this day, this moment, at, at this, this instant, you've become a son to me. And I want to put to you today that that moment was actually the 33 years that Jesus spent on the earth. And it culminated, and I can prove this scripturally, I'm not going to go into it now, it culminated in Gethsemane when Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. I'm okay with accepting a no because I know that you are utterly good and you are utterly kind and that if you've asked me to do something, you will provide a grace to me for it. And here's the thing. Sonship formed at that moment when God said no and when Jesus was okay with it. It's pretty weird to think about. Perfect Jesus, son of God. It wasn't until that moment that God said, today you're my son. You can ask me what you want now. The inheritance is yours because you can handle the no's. So, can we decide today that we're not going to get precious or weep bitterly or sulk or feel like God doesn't love us when he says no, but rather can we sit secure knowing that God loves us so much that he just said no to us? He cares so much about the path that we walk, the people we need to become and the future he has for us. He's going to say no. He's going to say no. And it's going to be those no's that actually ultimately make us who we are. Sonship, daughtership, it's not, a, it's not just a state of being. It's also felt deep within. May we feel it today, daughters, sons of God. May we feel it today. And actually, before we just finish, I wanted to... So I'm going to take my...